Hang in there, idiot. Smiley Kaufman for 61. Wow. I'm Smiley Kaufman, and this is The Smiley Show. Welcome back to another conversation with a tour pro on The Smiley Show. And this one is a can't-miss episode. Max Homa is a true star in the game of golf. Not only is he one of the best players in the world, he's a hilarious follower on social media. But Max's rise didn't come without a struggle, an experience the two of us shared, and one that we'll discuss on the pod today. So let's get to it. Here's my chat with Max Homa. All right, we got Max Homa joining the Smiley Show. Max, we're so excited to have you on. Obviously, known you a long time, and this has been long overdue, but man, you've been a busy man. Coming out for that trip in South Africa, the Netflix Cup, and then you went to that Las Vegas Grand Prix, and I want to hear about it all. Man, I'm not going to lie. This was the first day. I was trying to do the math. It's got to be like 16 to 20 days that I just slept because when we got to (laughs) Africa, we met JT and Jill at the safari and times time zones were just messed up. So every night we go to bed at like 10 and I'm just waking up at four every morning (laughs) and we were going on safari at five, five or five 30. So I'm just like not sleeping. And then when we got to the tournament, it was slightly better, but I'm still waking up at four. I'm just going to bed a little earlier. And then when we got back home, uh, you know, we go to the Netflix cup, stayed at the first night till 12. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'm asleep till the pro-am at nine. And I woke up at four fifteen, oh. and then, and then the last three days were my own, my own problem. I was going out till, you know, <laughs> 2 AM and waking up still at five thirty. And then last night, finally I got, uh, I didn't set an alarm, and fortunately, my son Cam slept like a dream, and I woke up at 7.30, which I haven't oh, done man. in forever, and I was like almost panicking, and oddly enough, I feel I feel worse today than I have the last <laughs> few. I feel like I'm on the moon, so I'm slowly... I, the first thing I did was this morning is I texted Justin. I said, I finally slept, and uh, it, feels, it feels nice. I think tomorrow, my body's going to be so thankful. I mean, you look rather chipper this morning. You just, it's, uh, it's nice to get those, uh, the sleep and recovery. Are you a whoop guy? Are you wear? do you check it? your your sleep and all that? I used to, I don't anymore. And I'm kind of thankful because they probably would have just kicked me off the database. <laughs> <laughs> They've seen what the last three weeks looked like. <laughs> Dude, that is so we good. We can't help you, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> just the one percenters, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part of that one percent club. <laughs> All right. So you mentioned the safari. All right. So what, what surprised you the most about the safari? What was the highlights? Uh, so I've been using this really corny, uh, corny thing. I've been, uh, I've made dad jokes. Up. Is this dad jokes? Yeah. Dad, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you get out there and it's like the, it seems fake, you know, like it's, yeah. it does seem straight out of Lion King. You, it doesn't feel real. Cause you've just never, your brain's never seen anything like that in person. And it just feels bizarre. And then as you go around, it's like the realest place I've ever been. Um, you know, everything is so it's organized in a different way. You know, all the animals have a purpose. No human is interacting with them to adjust or manipulate anything they're doing. Uh, you're just kind of there to, to watch, you know, the circle of life and watch, just like I said, watch reality. Um, we all obviously at home, have our own purpose and we have jobs and and everybody kind of functions in in a similar way but going out there it's it's oddly peaceful I would say that was the most surprising part I thought I was going to be a little bit 
uh, I guess taken aback when we, you know, we'd see a dead animal or, uh, especially we saw a couple of cheetahs eating a wildebeest. And I thought that was going to like make my stomach turn. And it was oddly like calming just because you start to realize like that's how people, like, that's how they survive. Like they need to do that. And unfortunately, yeah, like an animal needs to die for that to happen. But it was, it was, I don't know. It was oddly, it was oddly peaceful. Um, and like the setting is beautiful. The weather was incredible. The sunsets and sunrises every day were remarkable. So it was weird. I thought I was going to be a lot more. I was definitely on edge with around a few animals. I don't know if Justin told you about these <laughs> damn elephants. Elephants were are super cool. And then we kept pulling up on them with babies, and they are terrifying. So oh gosh, yeah, we had a list. We we I, I'd like to examine his again, but we had a, a mental list going of animals we'd feel comfortable uh surviving if they came at us and i i'm down to like uh we saw one chipmunk i think i could handle that and then one bird even when we got to sun city there was a baboon was walking at me and i'm just i told my caddy ben i was like yo i don't think i could even handle this thing like this thing's gonna ravage me if it wants to so it was a it's a pretty terrifying place when you realize how vulnerable you are but like i said oddly calming it's a it was just so real and so cool is it i don't i don't I don't know how to explain it perfectly. You have to go do it uh, at some yeah. point if you ever get the opportunity because it is it's it's cool, man. Going to do a safari is on my list. One of my buddies actually he went to one, like a, one of those lion nights or something at the safari, and, and like the one rule was you're not supposed to wear bright colors so the lion doesn't see you as like a threat. They don't like bright colors, and my my buddy. Uh, just was at my house like the week before and LSU was playing Miami. And so it's a great bit. <laughs> he bought a Miami U orange bright shirt. And so he wasn't listening to the the whole, <laughs> the whole deal before the, the lion night. And so he shows up with this bright orange Miami U shirt. And he said, this lion is looking at him like a snack the entire night. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, I was, thinking about that just as you're talking but yeah he's, uh, he's a liability the good news is, is once he gets your boy i mean you'll survive so <laughs> exactly you just got to run faster than the, yeah than the other guy but so you got to sun city man and uh, obviously you had a great week and i didn't get to watch any of it just saw the highlights because it was in the middle of the night but um obviously you played some damn good golf yeah it was weird so i i practiced a ton coming into it but um like a you know like a like a normal amount and the thing, the, the interesting thing though, is that was the longest I ever taken off uh, after, like between tournaments. It's the most, it's the longest I ever went without touching a golf club. I usually, you know, we don't have much off season typically. That's why everyone's right. been so excited about this season and it's the, the new format and also like why we can go play these other events. I, I wouldn't have been able to do that in any year prior. And uh, so I, my game felt okay, but I had played two whole rounds of golf since the Ryder cup, just because wow. I don't know, I wasn't like looking to go play as much. I, I knew I needed to play once or twice before we left just to, you know, I, I, I usually take the beginning of the, my off season uh, or whatever you want to call it. I, I like nerd out for a week uh, with, with Mark, whether he comes out or it's just me, I get my tripod and I, I, I have no inhibition with videos. Like I take basically video damn near every swing, try a million things I've thought of, Mm. uh for the aesthetic and then see if i could use it so i was doing a lot of that so i was hitting a lot of balls and then putting and chipping was actually the best part of my game the last 
you know, there that month of prep, like I wasn't working on anything, just kind of continuing doing what I was doing. So my swing, although it, it, you know, I could get it to look cool or whatever, do different things. I felt like I, I do it so I can understand it more like what, you know, mm. Mark always says force precedes motion. So I like to see how all that works, but it's not like I'm sharp. So I started to get a little bit nervous as we were getting closer to the event. So I'm like, damn, I, I have not played any golf. Like, I don't know how this is going to work on the course. I don't know if my ball control is going to be good. And uh, then, of course, we take a 31-hour trip to South Africa, and then we sit around for three and a half days, not sleeping. Uh, One day, Justin and I decided to have a contest of who could drink the most white wine, and uh, that didn't help. And then we get to the event, and Monday, we hit some balls, and I've said it a few times, but he astutely said, today we work on forward, tomorrow we work on straight. And I was barely doing the forward part Monday. My body felt tremendously awful. <laughs> I didn't, I started to panic a little bit. Cause like my, I'm just not moving. This is the shortest I've ever hit the golf ball. And I'm, and, and we get to the course. I don't have Joe there. My buddy, Ben Marsh filled in, which was awesome. We had a blast, but the course was super narrow. It's an elevation. The wind was the most confusing thing in the entire world. And the yardage book is the Euro yardage book, not ours. So it's just like a little harder for me to read. And I start getting antsy and antsy. I'm like, oh, no. And then we get a rain delay Tuesday. And Justin and I are full panicking. Like, we are full panicking. <laughs> and and I – so we go out. And like I said, everything feels terrible. They fortunately have uh, – their physios over there were unbelievable. Uh, Karin, Susan, and Arthur saved my life. Uh, I was spent more time in there than I did the range for a couple days. But I went out to the Pro-Am, and I, sh- I made like seven birdies. And for the first time ever, I said – I wasted them. I never believed that, but I was like, I'm wasting them. Like I need, I can't keep making putts. Like I need this for tomorrow. And went out Thursday, the most uncomfortable I've ever been on a tee playing with in the last group of the day with uh, Tommy Fleetwood and Adrian Moronk. So obviously Tommy, uh, everybody knows Tommy. Uh, he's fortunate, fortunate pairing. I mean, he, him and Finno, they're like the nicest dudes. Tommy, if, if you don't have a favorite golfer, Tommy should be your favorite golfer. And Adrian is awesome. They they were great to be with. But uh, for people who don't know Adrian, Adrian's the best was the one of the best players on the DP tour this year. Uh, and he's freaky good at golf. He's awesome. So I was like so uncomfortable. There's a bunch of people watching us, and I was just like, oh boy. And I I don't know what happened. Just kept playing good. <laughs> I had my accuracy was a little better than I thought it was going to be. And my short irons and mid irons were awesome. So yeah, I went out the first stage out of bogey free sixty six and. <laughs> Just like, uh, again, I was kind of like, this feels like smoke and mirrors. Um, And then every day my body felt a little bit better and I got kind of some of that competitive rust off and started to play some pretty good golf. Um, You know, I kind of figured out the golf course. It was good for me, especially with not bombing it, but um, just I was, I, I, I knew how to get balls in the fairway and I knew if I get them in the fairway, my iron game was like, that was actually some of oddly like the best iron play I I had, I think like that Saturday, the greens were really weird, small and like little nooks mm. and crannies, which usually fits me really nicely. I wasn't so sure it was going to fit me <laughs> this week. And I just did a really good job. I think I had a Friday, I think I hit like 16 greens and never really put myself in a bad spot. And yeah, then all of a sudden you get kind of get into the heat of battle. And, and um, it was fun because, I mean, as you know, even when you're playing great golf, you're not in contention all the time. Mm-hmm. You get stretches where you feel like a few weeks in a row, you're right around it. And so even when you get a few weeks off, it just felt like I was a little bit, 
it was like foreign just slightly, but you settled back in and it, it was cool. I got to take a lot of the stuff I learned from last year, especially from the Ryder Cup and and use it uh, on that oh, Saturday, yeah. Sunday. So it was, uh, it was, it was awesome. It was like I said, it was fun having Ben on the bag. He's caddied one time and has now has one win. He's going to absolutely abuse Joe Scovern and Joe Griner uh, over the <laughs> course of the next lifetime. So that's going to be fun. God, that's amazing. And so as it, as it relates to getting ready for major championships, you know, you just kind of talked about how crummy your body felt on Monday and Tuesday and just how stressed you were about playing good golf. Does that kind of give you a little bit of confidence knowing that you only played two rounds heading into this tournament at South Africa and you show up, you feel like crap, you don't necessarily think you're going to win this week and you go out and really just, I mean, it, it was never a doubt that you were going to win the golf tournament. I mean, does that help you know going into majors that your schedule doesn't have to be perfect the weeks before? Because I think so often pros are always stressed out about like having the perfect schedule to peak for major championships. I'm really glad you asked that. Cause I, I actually was thinking that after even just the first round, um, I have been terrible in majors compared to what I've done in you no, know, the season of a tour of a, of, of a tour season, which is just hasn't made sense. I've gone into majors playing the best golf of my life and played horrible. Um, and I've got, I've gone into some playing solid golf and feel like I know everything about my game and played not good. And, you know, I've only had now like two good performances and I mean, I've been told, you know, with my, you know, Joe, me and Mark, every major, we have a sit down and just say like, what the f went wrong? Sorry. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to cut. What the <laughs> hell went wrong? And it's every time. And it's just like, it's bothers me. And, but the, the, the consensus from them and, and I would totally agree is I just, I'm already struggle a bit with being a perfectionist. I don't think that's always a bad thing. But when I get in those, like you mentioned, I think everything needs to be completely ideal. I think that I can't hit a bad shot. I think that I can't hit, hit a bad uh, miss, miss a short putt. I can't, I, my short game needs to be perfect, all this stuff. And I, I think I get over, overly like stimulated in a way. And I didn't really know how to get better at that. It just seems like something that I was just going to have to, like at the open where I finally played well, I got off to a good start. And like, that seemed to be something mm -hmm. that helped so much is, and, and same thing happened at the PGA at Southern Hills when I played well, got off to a good start. And it's almost like my body like relaxes. And, uh, this year's uh, plan is we're going to play the week before every major yeah. instead of not so that I can, um, take I don't sit at easy. home and practice nine yeah. hours a day. Yeah. And you take something you learn from the week before. Like I'm really looking forward to playing Valero and going to Augusta with like a baseline of what my game's like. But I did tell, um, you know, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Mark about it, but I, I was basically finally happy with, and Julie, my sports psychologist was, has been heart, uh, on, you know, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And this was the most uncomfortable I've ever been before a golf tournament. And I'm going to take for sure. I'm going to take a lot of that with me that you could still play good and not feel perfect. It almost, when you're playing poorly or feeling poorly, you have a plan. So my plan was to never swing hard at it. I was never going to try and get back to the speed I'm normally at because it wasn't going to help. I was never going to fight. If a shot felt bad, I was never going to force it. I was just going to keep playing golf and, and almost be more of like a, uh, a tactician. And like I said, then all of a sudden I showed up Sunday and my, my body felt good. And the first three drives I hit were, were more like me. And then I got comfy and then just started to play. But yeah, it's one of those 
funny things that it, it took me flying to to <laughs> Africa to figure <laughs> out this thing that's been just bothering the hell out of me for for you know the last three years, four years. In, in the tournaments that you've won on the PGA Tour of the four days, I mean, how many times are you actually comfortable four straight days? It's it's very oh, yeah, rare. Never. You know, and that's I think that's a great point is being uncomfortable and still being able to find a way to get a score down. And um, and for you, it seems like finding different ways and tools to to just it's for perfectionists. It's hard to not care too much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like I don't know. You feel again, it's a, it's 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 tough because there's parts of being a perfectionist that have gotten me to where I am and, and gotten everyone where they right. are. So it's. It, it, I can't just shut it off because I think it's part of what makes me good. But there's, it's funny when you, when you, I was actually talking to my buddy during spring training about this, they, they were in, um, they were in Scottsdale. So he let me come hang with them or whatever. And he's a phenomenal baseball player. And in the year that he won MVP, his memory of that was like every night I went four for five, every night I hit a bomb every night, whatever. And he, the year prior to this year, he had struggled and, he was just like, he would have a night where he go, Oh, for four. And just think, man, I never did that. Like I, what is happening to me? But he goes, if I went back and actually looked at it, I'm sure I did plenty of times, but I didn't carry that with me mm. to the next game. I didn't, I didn't let it make me more and more uncomfortable. And I think that resonated a lot with me that we have this vision of when I won in LA or when I won in right. Wells Fargo <laughs> earlier, like that, Oh, it's just my golf swing felt perfect. And like, I couldn't miss and, I was hitting it right out the middle, like every time and all those things. And then you, so then all of a sudden I toe or heel one at an event and I'm like, this isn't meant to, like, I never do, did this when I was playing great. And then you start to really be honest with yourself and you're like, yeah, dude, you had a bunch of terrible shots. It's just that you didn't let, you didn't carry them and you hit a lot more good shots than bad shots. And, um, that's, that's the whole one shot at a time mentality. That's so difficult. But I think that that, that does go a long way in realizing that you're, you're not supposed to feel perfect every day. Um, if you could, it would be great. But you know, all these guys, I think that's why I'm so fascinated with John Rom because he, he, I guess I've known him kind of like him and Justin, I probably known the longest that have been, you know, world number one and all this. And, mm-hmm. but John, especially he, he has done, he's just so amazing lately of, you know, shoot one over and around and not panic. I think he did it after he won the masters. He shot like one or two over at Hilton and then shot nine under the next day. Yes. I've seen Justin walk off of the range at BMW at Medina. And I went to go say hi to him and it looked like he saw a ghost. He was, it was like the most upset I've seen somebody in the morning before they played and he shot 63. So it's like being able to turn your brain off and go play is so difficult, but that's the thing I think I'm learning. They talk about the, the kind of, tiny margins between the best players and and then the next wave and the next wave and and i think that that's for me probably the my margin i need to get better at looking at looking at those guys that's so funny because at the hilton head this year i think it was after your thursday round i'm not sure what you shot on thursday but i passed you on the way from the scoring tent and you were heading to the range and you looked like you were about to punch a baby so i could yeah. i could tell that that you were like god i have got to figure whatever this out like after whether it was augusta and then well, first it was augusta. Of- augusta killed me and and that was actually my worst my worst two or three week stretch and yeah my my game oddly at, at austin started to feel bad and i fortunately made it through to the round of 16 and played 
really poorly and yeah, it was okay. just one of those again it goes to the uncomfortable i started to think about augusta like i know i've mm-hmm. had these struggles in the majors and that was that year you know i'm playing the best golf of my life and all of a sudden it feels a little bit bad and now i, I think i over exaggerated right. it and then i carried the augusta week with me to hilton head and was just so pissed and I had a bad attitude and my game wasn't good. And you can't, I mean, you can't do both those things and play even remotely good. And that was a learning experience. But again, in a weird way, had it not been for that, we wouldn't have done as I'm sure we'll get into, but like some of the changes Mark and I made. And again, mm-hmm. me learning that, uh, me learning more about my golf swing and things that helped me later in the season. But it, those are the things I need to do better at. I I, I was... I look back at Hilton Head as a byproduct of Augusta. I look at I look at Augusta as me being uh, anal that I didn't have a great week in Austin, and it's like you don't uh, that pisses me off a lot more than the tragedy that was my golf game in Hilton Head because um, <laughs> it's like I, I don't know you're going to have those weeks where the game is just absolutely terrible, so that's okay. It's just I I caused it to happen at Augusta, which is frustrating. Yeah. And, and you kind of mentioned the swing videos. We're going to get into some of those here in a little bit. And we're also going to get into a little bit more of the highs and lows that you've kind of experienced throughout your career, but we got to get a couple cow stories out of the way real quick, because (laughs) these stories are just have to be told. And my producer, Charlie Hume, his younger brother was best friends with one of your college teammates, Pace Johnson. And he gave us a few stories that we just have to ask you about. And the oh first boy. one, it, the first <laughs> one is on the basketball court. Uh, I guess y'all, as a Cal team, you see head to the rec center a bunch and play some pickup games. And apparently, y'all played a game against Keenan Allen. And did this? <laughs> please tell me that that I heard the story correctly. Uh, yeah, um, I hope I know. I know Coach Des isn't listening to podcasts in his free time, <laughs> but we 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 were never allowed to do it. But it was everyone's kind of passion. It started with Eric Mina, who was my best friend uh, and our team captain. He was a great basketball player. Uh, it's a shame he wasn't very tall because he could have <laughs> he could have been something. Um, but yeah, we would go, and it was like just like a nice release, and we all loved playing. And we would go work out and go play basketball most afternoons. So it was a blast. Uh, and we, you know, people would roll their ankle all the time. And the lies people came up with to tell coach are just dude, same here, dude. I, heard, I, I, I couldn't run for an entire year because I rolled my, uh, I think I had like a stress fracture on the side of my foot from playing too much basketball on the wreck. The lies these young kids would come up with and tell me what they should tell coach. I just would die laughing. I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm sure he'll believe. You, uh, you you just like lost your way and stepped into like a tree yeah. well and rolled Coach, your ankle. Coach, don't lie. Ball don't yeah. lie, Coach. <laughs> um, yeah, so we would play it one day. Um, the football team would come down to the rec center like a week a year. Uh, and it first off, fascinating watching the big men. They would they were they dunking and all this stuff. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But one day we get we get playing as five golfers, and then it's two guys that are just you know regular students, and then. Uh, Keenan Allen, Marvin Jones, and then the third guy, I never knew his name, but he was our, our like tall receiver. He was like six, seven. He was a massive dude. And, uh, Keenan and I are similar sized, like close enough in a pickup game where like, I'm, I gotta guard him. Mm-hmm. Marvin Jones, first and foremost, that's the best. I, I hate when people say, oh, he could have played two sports. Cause this, I feel like it does a disservice to the people who do it. He could have played two sports. That's the best, <laughs> That that's the best basketball player I've ever seen in person. It was tremendous uh, i even met, ended up running into somebody from his high school and he said oh how's marvin doing i'm like oh he's great man 
about to get drafted. Like he's a world-class. He goes, yeah, dude, he's going to be great in the NBA. And I'm like, no big dog NFL, <laughs> like not NBA, but he was dumbfounded. So um, yeah, so we're playing and it, it's, it's, it's truly my, it's the highlight of my athletic career. And it is followed by the lowest moment in my athletic career back to back within like a four second span. So I'm guarding Keenan or whatever. And it, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm holding my own by any means, but uh, we're playing and uh, <laughs> we, we get going and he's kind of on a fast break. I'm kind of on his, on his arm. So he couldn't get like all the way up, but I'm chasing him. And I think the adrenaline got me, but he went to lay it in and I low key Keenan, if you're, not that we're buddies, but if you're watching this, you, you made, I know you could dunk on me. I know you could do whatever you want, but for whatever reason, I got lucky and I caught him on the backboard and I'd never you done that before. You pinned a ball against the backboard? I, I kind of pinned, like I, I mean, like a white boy pin. Like I, I got my <laughs> fingers on it and smoked the, some of the backboard with the ball. And Did you I yell? Landed. You're supposed to yell when you do that. Ah, no, you know, no, just no. the whole thing. Because <laughs> he's better at everything than me. So it's cool. I'm not I'm not sitting here claiming that like I'm better at basketball or anything. I just it was it was my time to shine for one moment in the sun. And I landed, and since I'm facing, you know, the the yeah. baseline and, and everybody's sitting there, my friends, some of my other friends are there, and I can make this face. I look at him like, did anybody see that? <laughs> and in that one second that I was gloating, I turned to grab the ball. And I'm like a millisecond late and the tall wide receiver swipes it from my hands, jumps, two hand dunk and his nuts are just like <laughs> smoke my face. So, yeah, my moment in the sun, I burned up just faster than any human has ever burned. up. <laughs> Dude, if I was a, a bystander in the gym and a lot of times when the football team is playing in the gym, the rest of the football team is watching oh, that game as well because they got there. necks on the court. So I imagine that whole thing was like, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> they didn't even have time to get the first ooh out. It was just like, what an embarrassment to this guy's life. Uh, so yeah, so I had, uh, I had that happen. So it's a pretty, pretty bad memory, but I do. It makes it better. Cause if I just had the first story, I'd be walking around telling people that I got lucky and, and caught a, just one of the best athletes in the world off the backboard. But, uh, Oh, that's, yeah. dude, that's it, an incredible it, it was, story. Uh, it was that tragic. Is an incredible story. We're going to definitely tag, uh, <laughs> guys in that video. <laughs> All right. The second story, we got, actually, this isn't even a story. This is just, I want you to update us on what this two door Honda civic you drove was like in college. <laughs> uh, you know what? This, this car is, it was a, it was passed along uh, from down my family. Uh, unfortunately, my cousin passed away when I was 15. It was his car. Then his sister, obviously my cousin Laura, uh, got it for a while. And then my aunt and uncle were uh, very kind to give it to me when I when I got my license. And I love this thing. Two-door Honda Civic. Uh, I think it was a 03. Uh, and yeah, I went from Pennsylvania to LA. And it, it was great to me. Hondas are, you know, incredible. And it's cruising, but... And you drive it up and down the, the the California coast a few times and the thing gets a little banged up. At some point, the pad, driver's side door, the key, it was it was all, you know, manual. So the key didn't work in there. So I had to go through the passenger side door, reach over, flick the lock up, then walk around. Yeah, I, I'm very thankful for it because the first time I ever met Lacey's parents, her dad saw me open her door. And he told the story at our wedding, but he goes, you know, I knew I loved Max uh, right away because it was just so chivalrous what he did. And Lacey goes, no, no, no. She's like, his door doesn't work. So he needed to climb through and flick the lock up. (laughs) So the thing got me, got me pretty much everything I've got in life at this point. 
uh, and yeah, so that, and the funny part is, is my last, my last trip home, I have absolutely everything in my car. I'm moving out of Cal and I have a five or six hour drive home and I got halfway home and my car just died. Mm. I spent like six hours <laughs> in the middle of nowhere at a mechanic's office. And finally I told him, I said, I just need you to get me home. Like, I don't have a lot of money. I can't sit here and wait. I can't, I'm not sitting in a hotel room. I don't, I don't even know if I could afford a hotel room. I was like, you just got to get me home. And I just drove it straight to my mom's mechanic at, in Valencia and just like dumped it. And he's like, I don't not know how you made it, but you made it. Uh, so yeah, as much as it pained me to get rid of that, once I, uh, once I made my first check, it was, it was time. It was time to, to, mm. to move along. I know old cars like that, typically when they're passed along, they, they typically have a name, right? That car had to have a name. <laughs> Uh, we called her black beauty. <laughs> mm-hmm. I knew, I knew she um, had a name. <laughs> she, yeah, she, she was, uh, she worked real hard. She tried, she had a lot of effort, which we appreciated. <laughs> okay. I knew there had to be a name associated with a fine vehicle, like a nice two-door <laughs> Honda Civic. <laughs> All right. Last story from Cal here. So you're obviously y'all had a great team there. I mean, y'all's y'all's history that y'all did at Cal is insane. Five all five all Americans, I believe, your senior year or something like that. Just stupid golf. But uh, you individually, I don't. I think this was maybe your junior year uh, that you kept on having runner ups, and you go to Hawaii for the John Burns Intercollegiate, and I guess they give you a little man tiki uh, yeah. trophy for runner up for the individual second place for that week. And you just were so frustrated with finishing runner up. And this kind of goes back to some of the things that we were talking about earlier, just how a perfectionist you are. you just want to compete. But this little tiki man, you'd had enough of this guy when you got back, back home to Cal. And what did you do to this tiki man? Um, man, this is, a, I didn't even remember this. Yeah, I had a run. It's actually funny. My, my professional career has been the exact opposite. When I've been in the hunt, I've won. And in college, it was just second to everybody. And, even more frustratingly, it was second to my teammates, but pretty much every time. <laughs> so that made it worse. I don't even remember exactly what I did, but I beat the living hell out of this thing. I, I think I, I took golf club through it. I did absolutely everything. This thing. I was so tired of getting second place. I, I guess I look back and I laugh because it's clearly great to be in the mix. And it was, it was a lot of weeks uh, that I, I, I had like a, I think it was something like 12 months in a row. I had a second every single month and I never, I never had a win. And yeah, I just remember getting back and, and I hated this thing just so much. And I wasn't trying to be a, a baby about it, but it, it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, wasn't cool anymore to be in second place. It was just like a burden. And uh, yeah, that, that guy did not make it. Uh, like he made it home and didn't make it past, uh, didn't make it to school the next day, I guess. <laughs> That's tough. I'm picturing, I'm picturing, you know, like the survivor immunity idol. That's that, kind of what, what it looked like. It looked like. That's yeah. what I'm picturing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. No immunity for Max. He was, no. he, was <laughs> he said, put me back into the ringer. I'm ready to go again. Exactly. <laughs> okay. That's, well, that's some great Cal stuff. And, uh, and obviously we, we played a little amateur golf together as well and played at the Sunny Hannah and, and I kind of knew you were going to be on the PGA Tour just from playing with you once. I was like, this guy's way better than me at the time. And uh, <laughs> it, and I was kind of going back, looking at your career. Uh, kind of, It's always fun to go back because I think for a lot of times we, we forget what players did at the beginning of their career, how fast they made it to the PGA Tour. And with you, I, was, I forgot that you had done 
So you done you did a year on the Corn Ferry, went to the PGA Tour, lost your card, back to the Corn Ferry, and then back to the PGA Tour, and then that's like kind of around that time is when you started to really see some struggle in your game. And you were yeah. a player that obviously was coming out, you know, very highly thought of, one that you know made it to the PGA Tour very quickly, but struggled to kind of find that. I would say whether it be instant success, like we saw with like a Jordan Spieth uh, or Justin Thomas uh, that just immediately went out and just started kicking ass for you. uh, When those struggles kind of began, was it all physical stuff? You know, when, when did you feel like you, you really just were not you out on the golf course? Yeah, I think everything personally starts just this is my personal belief. It starts physical and then it depends how strong you are mentally. Everyone's got something. I promise every single player has something that bugs them. Mm-hmm. I try to remind myself of that now, even when I look at like somebody like a Rama, I don't know what it is. I don't know. What, I don't know why there would be, but I'm sure there's something in his game that bothers him because we're all psychos. And yeah, I get off. I, I played the best summer I'd played and I, and uh, of amateur golf and, and had the best season in, in college I, I had had. And then my first pro start is a tour event in California and I get ninth mm-hmm. and it just, I, I'm not going to say I was caught, got ahead of myself. I was just like, Oh, it's just the same thing. Can't play defense on me. And I'm good at this game. I've always struggled a bit with confidence, self-confidence, but I also think that a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. I just didn't realize that at the time. And yeah, JT was my closest, I guess, we were much closer now, but he was definitely my closest friend that was doing what I was doing. But I, I never, I, I had a really hard time ever comparing myself to him because I've gotten a lot better and I can do it now. But what, when we were coming out of college, we kept being like touted in the similar vein, but I knew he was just so much better than me. And so it was almost difficult coming through, going through with him because I just think, if you ask, we had a really good corn fairy class that, that 2014 year, but if you if you ask absolutely anybody in that, we all knew who the best player was. It wasn't remark- remotely close. So I'm watching him do all these great things, and physically I can't do what he can do. And then I started to get that kind of insecurity, and that's where the mental part came. It, it was – it was, uh, I just don't know if I'm good enough. And then I went back to Corn Ferry and then I, I'd play great and got my car back. And I remember uh, when I came back the next time, my game was not good enough. I got through Corn Ferry uh, by a miracle and <laughs> I came back and that's when my actual physical game stunk. And that's when my mental game was the worst. The thing that helped that year is I did learn that I couldn't play that bad of golf and have a bad attitude. Uh, I'm not going to say I was perfect by any means, but I had to clean up the attitude part, the sulking a bit more. Right. And I wasn't going to be able to do both. And I now granted, it didn't help a ton. I made two cuts and 17 tries. And I think my best finish was like seven, 60th place. So it's not like it went a long way, but I did learn that I'm wasting away anything I have. And yeah, it just was, I was looking around too much. I was looking around at these guys I'd seen on TV forever and just thinking, how am I supposed to beat this guy? And I, I, I was so amazed by what they could do that I never looked internally at what I can do. So it was just like, was I was just pretty much thinking I needed to be as good at everybody as everybody at everything. And I did a terrible job and my golf game wasn't great. My mechanics were good enough, but not great. And I, I, I think I could have gotten, a, I couldn't got, I could have gotten by. I'm thankful that for everything that happened because I, I think I'm much better now than I would have ever been. But I did waste about four years trying to find something that I mm. already had, yeah. which is is frustrating. But um, 
yeah, looking back, I mean, it taught me resolve and it, it, I tell the young guys who have ever asked me, like more so people who are coming through college or struggling on mini tours or whatever, when they ask how, how I did it, I, I, I tell them that I think you need to know who you are and what your golf game is. And I think it gave mm-hmm. me a lot of time to formulate that plan and realize this is who I am and this is how I play golf and I'm going to be the best at this. And so I realized that I am a tough son of a gun. And I was like, uh, this is who I'm going to be forever. I'm going to hold that as a badge of honor. And uh, again, I, I wouldn't, I wish it didn't happen, but looking back, I wouldn't trade it now, right. but yeah, it was a, uh, it was a lot of, it was, it's always a blend. If you're playing great, you're going to, you're not going to struggle with your mentality too much. But if you, if you start to do both, poorly i mean you're just gonna Mm -hmm. hit the you're gonna hit the eject button very very hard and that's what i did and i was trying so hard man and and just my golf game wasn't good and i mean i know like obviously you you've gone through this like good luck playing not good golf against the best players in the world on the hardest golf courses in the world like good luck it's not like i'm going it's not like i got to go home for four weeks and go fire a couple 65s and like feel good again it's just i go to the next event where two under is great and right. you just have some really bad ones. And I had a few that killed me. Um, the one that bro- almost broke me was John Deere that year. I had really struggled with my driver all season. Everything else mm-hmm. was okay. As I, as I've referenced, I think Michael Kim talked about this recently or maybe last year, somewhat recently is when you get going bad in the big things, the little things are terrible because you spend no time doing them. You mm-hmm. don't have time to, if I'm hitting my driver off the planet, I can't, I can't, sit there and work on three footers for an hour. I can't sit there and work on my wedge game. I can't, you, you have to fix the biggest thing. Exactly. And so I go to John Deere and I, I finished for two days cause I didn't play four for two days. I led the field and, and uh, strokes gain off the tee and I missed the cut by one. And that's oh. the one that almost killed me. Um, because I was like, man, I did the thing. I'm the worst at the best. <laughs> and I still didn't make the cut, but I, I had to be reasonable down the road it's like buddy you like put it terrible because you haven't been working on it your wedge game was terrible because you haven't been working on it like you have to do other things but that's what was really wearing me out and that like i said that was almost that was almost the end of it mentally but um you know fortunately having people in my corner my coach mm-hmm. at the time less uh my caddy uh or my caddies at the time they were ju- they were good about like hey you're not being fair to yourself in this it's not it's not it's not like apples to apples here. So I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. I feel for people now when I watch them go through struggles because I know what's going on in their head. Right, right. And that, again, and that, again, not to pat myself on the back, but I do think that a part of what made me get through it was I never, I never succumbed to it being a mental problem i was certain Mm. it was a physical problem i was going i was going to get through it once i figured out what was wrong and i think that's what helped so much because once i got it back i felt i never didn't feel like me which was good and i just think i hear a lot of people do interviews and i could just tell like yeah you 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 want to you need to fix the mental and the physical i that's hard and i I don't i feel for those those people because that's that's a tall mountain to climb Dude, that's, that's a great way of putting it. I think perspective is one thing. So you mentioned like going during that time, you're happy that you went through it because you know what rock bottom's like and, and you know who that person was there, you know, how you were thinking. And you've also been at the top of the mountain where, you know, 
you know, this is how I feel. This is what confidence really feels like. Yeah, but you, you know also supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. You, and you, but you have, it's what it is. It's just perspective. And yeah. I think you made also a great point talking about, you know, <laughs> I finally fixed the driver when I could have been working on the putter. And so my game's just not quite sharp in all areas. And, and I think the point you made there was actually just when guys are struggling on tour and they really, they, they need time. And time is what you don't have in a PG tour <laughs> season when you're playing bad because you all you basically do you get you have Monday Tuesday Wednesday to figure it out Thursday Friday you miss the cut Saturday's like a, a, a potential like go work on it Sunday you travel and then you do the same thing over the next week and at this point everybody else is playing their way in rhythm where yep. all you're doing is is going to try to find a formula that you can try to piece together for the next week. And as the year goes on, it's just, it's just a washing machine cycle that you just can't, <laughs> like, you can't leave the range. Like you can't get away from it, uh, away from the golf course. It's, it's so hard to explain to people. It's like, well, just start playing better. It's like, dude, I'm trying harder than anybody out here. Yeah. Like nobody's practiced harder than me. Nobody hit more balls than I did during I think that that's time the hard period. Part about it. I think that's the hard part about it is you no one is working harder than you and you are getting worse. (laughs) Like it's the maddening part of this game. I always think about it. You know, when I go to the gym, it's like, if I work really hard at the gym by the end of the the week, I will be much stronger. I will lift more weight. Yeah. In golf, it became the more balls I hit. It was almost making me worse, but I needed to do it. I don't know what else you would do, but it's, it's a disgusting game in that you don't see any progress when you're working the hardest. And sometimes when you actually try less, you, you, you see more. It's funny. It's, it's a messed up game. Yeah. And do you think it's kind of like a, we have like our own little fraternity of get dudes that have struggled on the PGA tour. It's oh, like yeah. Michael Kim, me, you, Brendan Todd. And like, when I see like our boys, I'm like, Hey, like, yeah, <laughs> well, I think it's, we know each other. Never, like we, this is, we think this is, alike. <laughs> this is the first time I've gotten to talk to somebody like who's gone through it. Like I didn't never talk to Michael Kim. I, I know his, uh, somebody close in his camp asked me one time if I've reached out and I, I was like, I don't think you get it. Like I'm not, I don't know what, what he feels about what he's doing. So I'm not going to call and say, Hey, you know, I know what you're going through. Cause maybe, maybe he doesn't want to hear it. Maybe he doesn't believe it. Um, other I've got enough I've thoughts going guys. on, man. <laughs> exactly. So I'm never going to reach out. And I've, I've talked to more people who are, who have asked me now, like, how did you get through it? Other players who have are struggling in their, in their, um, I guess in their mental space or whatever in their golf games. I've talked to most, you know, mostly all people like that. And I've never talked to somebody who's actually gone through it and, and, and dealt with it already. Like they're, they're in the midst of it. They want advice. I've never had just a conversation with somebody about, Hey, you know, how'd you beat it? Or, Hey, how, what what were you thinking when this happened? It's more guys asking instead of just having like an honest conversation um, obviously cause they're, they're trying to, to figure it out, but it's kind of funny talking to you about this because yeah, it was it's an impossible thing to explain. It is, <laughs> it is truly an impossible thing to explain how, like what you're feeling. Everybody has a slightly different thing, but everybody's grand thought is pretty damn similar. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is a vulnerability while you're playing the game you love what I struggle with the most. And I'm curious if you feel this, but golf has always been my safe haven. And I've never really, I've never really like I, people ask me now, do you love golf? And and I, I don't know. It's complicated. I think a lot of guys have the same. I, I love 
what it gives me. I love the competitiveness of it, but yeah, like the maddening, maddening parts of it. I don't love. And, and, but I love, I love getting better at something. Mm -hmm. So golf is now that's what, what it provides me. But what was hard is that safe haven was gone. I like, I've had two very tragic things happen in my life in both days, for whatever reason, I got in my car, went to the course, whether I hit balls or didn't, I was sitting just on a golf course. And I always used to look back on that and be like, man, like I golf is in my heart. Like I, this is mm-hmm. where I go when I'm upset. Yes. And now I'm going there to be upset. Like it, <laughs> and it, it ruined me for a little bit. Cause I was like, man, what else do I have? I don't have an outlet. I don't yeah. play pickup basketball anymore. Like I got nothing other than my family and my poor wife. Uh, she, she had to deal with just a sourpuss every mm-hmm. day. She was my psychologist for ever and still is. And I just like felt for her so much. And it was just, it's just a, uh, it's, it's one of those things that people just can't understand that the thing you love the most is the thing that is, is, is ruining you internally. It's making 100%. you the most upset. It is, it would be, it, it's, it's pretty terrible, but I've said it, I, I kind of said it about Ricky uh, somewhat recently that, you know, I know he went through his struggles and, yep. and obviously much different, much better golfer. And, and, and he, he, his struggles were very uh, public, but not, not nearly as tragic, I guess. Like if mm-hmm. anybody saw Ricky, you'd still be like, dang, how is he missing the cut here? Uh, why didn't he win this one? Whatever you're, it's not quite as glaringly obvious but I did tell everybody that once he got through it, if and when, I mean, you still got to get through, but if and when, he's going to be a much better golfer. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Ricky now wins a major, even though, you know, in the height of his career, quote unquote, he, he hadn't gotten that uh, monkey off his back. I, I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he won one now, because I think he, you get who you are more yes. and you get your golf game better and you know that you've been through the ringer. So why not? And, uh, but it's hard. You still have to get through that. You have to beat that. I, I wasn't sure if, you never know if somebody will end up doing it, but now I'm really optimistic for Rick because he obviously had a great season, but this was, this was only the first year of kind of getting over that hump. Mm-hmm. And now I think that going into this year and next year, I mean, he's going to just be a, a new, a new man. Again, not something you're going to be able to see physically, but uh, with your own eyes. But I, 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 I contend that that is something that you wear with, like I said, you, you wear, um, you wear on you. It's a badge of honor in a weird way. Yeah. And you start to exactly. get everything more, but yeah, it's, it's a damn hard thing to actually do the first time. And I, I look back during my times of struggle with, with so much clarity now. And at the time I had <laughs> zero clarity and it yep. seems so painfully obvious what I was going through at the time that I just wasn't able <laughs> to diagnose myself. I don't think I realized that I needed more help and I needed to, cause I, I, I packaged everything in. I didn't yeah. really go out and talk to very many people at all. I didn't talk to any players because I, I, I just had enough swing thoughts going in my head. I just didn't want more cooks in the kitchen because I felt like the more advice I got, the worse off I'd be and the more I'd think about it. And and you said it the best, like going to the golf course was your safe haven. Well, for me, it was definitely my safe haven, but I loved the process of getting better. I love going yeah. to the golf course with a plan, showing up that day, working my tail off and then showing up to a golf tournament, knowing I was ready. And I, I, especially when I got to Sunday or something like that, I knew that I was more prepared and I just had given myself a chance to win on Sunday because of my work that I did earlier in the week. 
And yep. so often I would leave the golf course for years and I, I worked my tail off with zero plan. It felt like, and I would leave knowing that I didn't get better that day. And that's what killed yep. me. And yep. looking back on it now, it's, I, there was probably some things that I would have done different. And I think one of the things would have been, I would have probably given myself a little bit more time and been more patient with myself. And I, I was just trying to get results now, results now every yeah. single day. And, and golf just isn't that way. <laughs> you just, you have to no. dig, dig your way through it. I also think like, if I could go back and do something different, one of the things I would have done, um, I do it a lot more now. I wish I would have hit more golf shots, like low cuts, low draws, high cuts, high draws. And I had, my golf swing had way too much timing in it, too much hands. It's still something I'm Anybody working on. Anybody that's struggling has timing going on. <laughs> yeah, you have so many. T- yeah, that's a good point. Uh, it just, I had the max amount and I still have some, but, or still more than I, I guess I'd like, but I didn't do, I went there trying to hit a perfect drive 15 times in a row. And it's like, why don't we just hit this, like, find something, like find, and, and then that will teach your hands where to go and when to release it right, and right, when right. to, it, it, I, it's I don't just know, hard to get in so creative mode doing, when you're in technical it's, mode. It's though. impossible. Like you, you think you need to fix and you do, but you can fix it through like almost visualizing and then your body follows. I, I was always jealous of people who play reactive sports. So we talk about like clutch gene with so many athletes and I'm sorry, I'm so biased, but like Tiger Woods is it's not even close. It's not even close because Michael Jordan, for sure. I'm sure that there's a lot more going into it than I think Kobe Bryant, my favorite ever. But the thing is, is he catches a ball, a guy runs at him. He, it, your brain turns off in some form and, and then you react and you pull up and whatever you get to your spot. And yes, some people are much better at that. Some people are much more clutch in basketball than other, other basketball players. However, in golf, you hit one shot every like five minutes and you are thinking <laughs> about the rest of it, the whole time. And even when you are hitting your shot, it is not very reactionary. You can make it. I know you hear a lot of golfers say, oh, I'm, I'm making it more reactionary. It's still you're, you're talking like a little bit more. You can't actually react to something that's not moving. So uh, it's, it's fascinating. The guys who have like Tiger, who has been so incredibly good under pressure, not just the putts, the the full shots and, and just his sticking to his game plan of uh, his mental game plan of how he's going to approach each thing when you have so much time to think about it. And then, Mm. then you start to take that back a hundred steps and think I am playing bad. How do I do this for hopefully 70 shots? And again, I think a part of that would be teaching your body how to hit golf shots and not so much how to make a golf swing that is quote unquote perfect or whatever you want to call it. Mine was far from it. So is far from it. So, but it's more like I now know, Hey, if I'm going to eliminate a side of the golf course, I know exactly what I'm going right. to do. Of course. When I'm playing well, I, I, I know that I don't even need to worry about that side. When I'm mm-hmm. not, I have ways to work a, around it and I can go to certain parts of my game that I can, I can lean on for me. It's like my wedge play. Like if I'm struggling, I know, Hey, if it's a par five, let it rip. If you pull one off, you can get there. And if not, we're not really giving up a ton. You're going to have to 
pitch it down the fairway and then you get to go to the best part of your game. So it's yeah. like knowing those things is comforting when you don't have that, it just becomes, Oh my gosh, I missed another fairway. Mm. What am I going to do now? Right. Now there's plans and, and there's so much more, like you said, there's so much more clarity to what I did wrong back in the day. And it was, it was basically working on all the big things and not working on the little things. Like I could have literally looking back, I could have teed a driver up an inch off the ground and just got it into play and then used my practice all those hours of hard work to get incredible out of the rough an incredible chipper an incredible wedge player, all those things and just keep the damn ball in play off mm-hmm. the tee and then move along. And I did the opposite. I tried to become a great driver of the ball and it just, like I said, even when you had a good driving week, you still stunk. So it didn't matter. <laughs> well, we're going to laugh our way out of this section. And, and I know you were just in Las Vegas. So I want you to be the Vegas odd setter for this little exercise. <laughs> And the 2017 Max Homa made two cuts out of 14, and his best finishes were his 85th at the FedEx St. Jude and an MDF at the Barbasol 71st. And you're going up against no, the- no, 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 no. I, I okay. played four rounds at that Barbasol. I played okay. four rounds. Four rounds at the Barbasol. Is, this is a clerical <laughs> error. Uh, this is a clerical error. This is apologies, apologies. And your <laughs> opponent is going to be the 2018 Smiley Kaufman. And he made one <laughs> of 17 cuts, and he had a T69 at the Career career Builders Challenge. Nice. And I want you to set the odds. Who is winning this match? And, like, is, is Max Homa the favorite? Is Smiley Kaufman the favorite? Is Does the match get completed? You know, walk me through what the over-unders are on this as well. <laughs> The winner of this match is the pro shop for the golf balls that would need to be bought. Uh, that's definitely one of them. Uh, man, it's it's a it's a tight race. It's definitely a Thursday night football game and not a not a Sunday slate. Um, it would be ugly. I guarantee you, we would not be able to have anybody caddy for us. There's no way somebody would agree to to sit there and watch. Would you put even odds or, I mean, I'd have to think it's, it's pretty, you made two cuts. I made one. So maybe you are the favorite. Maybe maybe I'd be, I'd be, I'd be shoot. I'd probably be minus one Oh five. You're sitting at plus plus one ten. God, It's nobody's betting on it. We, there, we, it would be the most 15 footers for par ever in a match between two guys. (laughs) You know, what they should have done is all the matches are popular now. And you know, you pair like a pro with like a, a football player. What they should have done is like JT, and you against like me and Rick, if you get two good players and then two bad players and oh. see, see which team would win on a TNT. If I, if I had to get play on TNT in the year 2018, I think I would have had a legitimate heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would not have been good. That would have been that would not, not have been, I would have faked an injury. That would have not been good for the soul. So, all right. Well, I have a video or two of your old swings and we can take a peek at those. Um, Charlie, if you don't mind putting those up and I just, we're going to kind of go through and Mark Blackburn had sent over some of your newer swings, but this is, uh, at Wingfoot in 2021. Is that about right? No, 20, no, this is 2020. 2020. Yeah. All right. So when you're sitting here looking at this down the line, it doesn't, something's off and I don't know what it is. <laughs> what do you see? Um, yeah. So basically, um, basically I went, Wingfoot was really bad. We went, um, I remember we were playing the practice rounds and I actually started driving it. Okay. But my iron gate was terrible. And Mm. what 
so I took a million videos, poor Joe, a million videos trying to figure it out. But again, my eye, another like talk about clarity. I can see what I did wrong back then, but like I, you, you see it. So I take so many videos and it just looks normal. So what I was doing there was I was lifting the club up quite a bit on the way back, which doesn't look bad. That's how a lot of people swing it. Honestly, if I took just a freeze frame at the top, didn't tell you who it was, you would think, Oh, that's a pretty good spot. It's slightly across the line, yeah. but uh, it's more Justin Thomas. Like it's a very good position. However, later in that week, um, I, Joe had told me that Mark does like body screening TPI stuff. And I had the weekend off, but I had to be there. So I asked Mark to do a screening. So I had all these videos prior. I asked Mark to do a screening because I thought maybe I would find something in that, that helped, that helped me figure out why I was sucking so bad at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing was, is I wasn't, you know, this is 2020. I had one on tour. I I wasn't. I had just had a bad summer, so I didn't really – it wasn't like a full panic yet. But now when I look at it, it's quite obvious. Mark told me – I'll just – I have to blend the two, I guess. But Mark told me basically that when my hands get high, when my arms go up above my head, yeah. my rear comes off of that fake wall. I can't uh... – I extend into a golf ball. So I can't have a golf swing. And I mean Col- Colby's helped me a ton uh, with this. But like K-Wang. at the time, I – K-Wang, K-Wang Fitness – Uh, I can't have, I couldn't do that. It's just my range of motion is limited. So we're working on getting, I'm working on getting the club in this beautiful position at the top hands, a club on top of my hands, hands kind of up above my head for speed. Yet, right. As I do that, as I transition, my hips have to slide and go forward towards the ball. So now I'm extended, no rotation. And the club comes down dumb, steep and dumb open. And then it's literally all flipped. I would contend that if you look at almost every single player who is going through a massive struggle. They have some of this going on. I see it on tour all the time. I still struggle with it here and there, but there's certain guys you watch that are struggling to make cuts. And uh, I'm a golf geek. So I'll go find their golf swing on Instagram or something. And it's almost always some version of this. Now there's different whys as to, as to, uh, you know, when it happens, but so that, steep and open, steep and open is, so is kind of steep and open's bad. Steep <laughs> and open's good for chipping. It's terrible for hitting a golf ball. The face, if you look at new age golf swings, people get the club face square earlier and then you just hold. My biggest misconception as a young pup was that chicken winging the golf ball, the golf club through the shot is bad. Jordan Spieth is like the guy we're like, how does he chicken wing it? It's so good. Well, when you chicken wing it, the face doesn't rotate. That's like the dream. You don't have to, you don't have to release the golf club. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not really a power move, but you don't have to release a, the golf club at all. So hitting it straight is easy. So that was like my big misconception. So, uh, yeah, steep and open didn't really realize just how steep and open it was. And then I have to fling the club, but so much of it began with just my range of motion, uh, it's Shol- and shoulder mobility, right? Does. Shoulder mobility. It's, uh, it's something about the lumbar. I have a very curved lower back. So there's something about, as this goes up, my lower back can't handle all of oh. the, not that it's strained if I'm just standing here, but the strain and motion. So then everything starts to work its way towards uh, the golf ball. And I can't, once you start going that way, you, it happens too fast. You can't then save it and turn. Yeah. A key around it is if I, once I got better at shallowing the golf club, when the club's way behind you, your body knows I need to turn. So then mm-hmm. it like works its way out of it. But yeah, I was basically doing things that just were, were backwards on my, on my physical uh, capabilities. And Charlie, will you uh, put up the next video? And this is from Riviera. 
this was your final round warm up before you won at the LA Open. And Mark texted me and he, he said he wanted me to ask you about this. He said, position over perfect. What does yeah. that mean? Yeah, so pos- position over perfection. He came up with this saying. I had I had finally started to kind of get the swing stuff. So if you see my my left arm is much lower, the club's much more towards the laid off side. Uh, it's much more rotary going back and it's much more rotary going through. I still actually now, when I look at those videos, because that was some of the best ball hitting I'd ever done. And if I look at it now, I still actually extend more than I do now. So it's gotten even a little better right. uh, as far as the downswing goes. But I didn't play well the week prior. And Mark was like, buddy, you're swinging it great. We need to get much more into the golf strategy of it. Again, really helpful, like something like that, where Mark just is a tremendous coach, as everyone knows. But parts of Mark that are always leave me honored to work with him is we didn't just keep grinding my golf swing that week. He was mm-hmm. saying, you're, you're swinging it plenty good enough. You need to get better at learning where to leave a golf ball. Um, if you don't hit a good shot, it's that's not what we should be focusing on. Did we miss it in the right spot? Okay, so and position was, referring to position on a golf yeah, course, not, not golf position swing. in your yeah. swing. I was thinking, yeah, uh, I, I, this kind of seems no, opposite, opposite of what we we're what I was thinking it was going to be Completely. about. That's why I think I, I, I mean, you would have to go way in the dark uh, archives, but I kept joking about it, and it was like our little saying. Kept joking about it in the interviews as the week went on. And uh, knowing that, you know, it sounded like it was golf swing stuff, but it was like the opposite of technical. So that's funny. uh, We were just placing short on certain holes, you know, short left on 11. Great. Maybe not the best three you ever hit. That's great. That's exactly where we want it. Mm -hmm. Doing things like that. So uh, it was obviously I was swinging it great. And you lean on Joe too. drastically different. What's that? That's where you lean on Joe too. And that's where I lean on Joe. So it became much more of a team effort. And getting it's essentially going back to what we were talking about, you know, a few minutes ago, getting out of your own way, like yeah. go play golf, man, like you're, you're swinging it good, go play golf, trust yourself and let's go, let's go uh, just put up a number instead of counting how many good golf shots we've hit. Yeah. And Charlie, uh, last two videos are going to be from the week before Ned Bank. This looks to be on the back of the range at uh, TPC Scottsdale. And dude, uh, this is a face on video and, and you could really see it in the down the line, man, you're you're getting into some sweet positions right now. Like, especially the down the line, Charlie, will you cue that one up? Yeah, the, these are funny. This is again, part of the nerding out. We do my swing doesn't look like this a ton when I actually play, but I like, what what are you trying to do here? What am I trying to do? So the thing that's been as, as my golf games gotten better the last two years, especially I guess year and a half, we have found that I still like to play with a club that points more towards the laid off than the, than, than the hook to cross the line. Okay. I, I sweetheart. Okay. I swing better with the club more that side, but I can't do it with an open face. So mm. part of that is, and because I like to get my left arm lower than I guess the average I need some pitch in the shaft going back or else it's just really, really, really flat. And then I lose so pitch kind of all power. So I need some up to then match some mm. over my shoulder, I guess, to make it as simple as possible. So that that's what we we're working on. We we're trying to figure out how to get the club up, but also not get it. So it just keeps running up hands going way high, arms going way high and then hooking the golf club. So it was a, it was a blend of kind of 
up and then toss it over your arm. It's my, it, th- those videos are my like kind of aesthetic, uh, dream. <laughs> I wish I could do it more often. Um, but that's, that's essentially what we're finding. If the club goes up and pitches more vertical and then I can get the club face square enough and keep it over on the laid off side, the momentum still shallows it, but it shallows it with a strong face. When I was shallowing it with an open face, Again, it's not steep and open, but it's it's shallow and open. And then there's your star lines would be right. You're, you're a cutter, right? You know, like you, I'm a cutter. So now you're trying to save it with as much, yeah, you know, rotation as you possibly can. And it just was never something that I, uh, I can play with that more than the other way, but I still don't play well with it. Well, that's that's sweet. I mean, that's because to me, the left arm depth is, and just the, that being a lower arm plane. And then also trying to get a little vertical with the shaft, like those two things in my head would be tough to do because I know that yeah, yeah. those like don't match up to me, but I can see what you're trying to do and it looks amazing. So I, if, if I'm trying your, to do it, <laughs> if we, if, but it, it's, uh, if you get your shoulder plane, this is what we kind of found out. You get my, your shoulder plane steeper and while, while, Sending that Lacey almost just ate it in my office. I told you it's a storage room right now. <laughs> You're such an athlete. Anyways, um, shoulder point steeper while you know getting the the arm across your body and pointing it towards the laid off side. You can marry two things a little bit. To the the comp like the the basic eye, it's not going to look like I'm getting much shaft pitch. But if I if I just got it laid off or just rotary, just left arm across, it's just really really flat, like mm-hmm. really really flat. Mm-hmm. And then you need momentum. The momentum is going to carry you up and over the top, and you're you're not going to be able to shallow the golf club from there. So as Mark says, force precedes motion. You need the club to be sh- you need the, cl- the club to be steep at some point going back so that it can shallow. It's it's all uh, like uh, it's what. Victor Hovland does so well is he he has a he has a he lot of left arm vertical. depth yeah. but the shaft is dumb vertical and then yeah. his his club it, it's Gigi it's it's Matt Wolf it's like you, if you get the club that far that way it's gotta circle mm-hmm. back the other way and and but you need a reason your your body needs a reason for that to occur and that's what we're trying to give mine without compromising the gotcha. arms getting super high gotcha. and again also most importantly compromising not getting the club face open. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I just want to quickly talk about some chipping stuff. We were briefly, you just mentioned Victor Hovland. Uh, we had a great episode with him talking about chipping and Texas Joe Mayo. You mentioned that he took a cool video of you at the open and he was complimentary of your body action with your chipping. And and why is that? What, what about this body motion did he like? Yeah, uh, I went through, uh, Victor and I have way different wrist angles. So like I didn't quite chip it. I didn't quite go through what he was going through for whatever I heard, but I definitely went through low point problems and, and mm-hmm. fatting it in practice when it got soft and mushy or grainy, I really struggled in the last year. So I've gotten better. It's because of Mark and it's because of basically what Joe, Joe has kind of been alluding to, I think in, on his Instagram and all that is um, he's taught Victor as Victor's explained spin loft and, and he's shown you like, as you, as you chip, your body is supposed to go towards the target, which is counterintuitive, but head down and left. And then as you get towards the ball, now your low points in front of the golf ball, but we need to get the club out of the ground because now you're just going to stick it into the ground. So now you actually have to go up and left. It's Mm. funny. I've tried to show people how to do it. And it's funny when things make sense in your head and then you try to explain (laughs) them and it, it seems crazy to people. 
But you need to, you always want to hit in front of the golf ball clearly on it to in front of it. Um, but when you're that far leaned, you're just going to drive the shaft, uh, the leading edge and into the ground because you have so much lean. But once you get left, as, as Victor's explained so astutely, is when you get far enough left, you actually react by throwing the head at the ball and then exposing the bounce and adding loft and pulling the club out of the ground. So that's what Joe, I had never really like learned this from even anybody at all. Maybe my buddy Derek Dominski, but for the most part, I hadn't really grasped it till Mark and Lane explained it to me. And when Joe asked me about it, he was like, who taught you? Is this just how you chip? I'm like, no, I was like, Mark, like, basically built this like i had no idea about i was just trying to you know use the bounce open the face blah 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 just hit it and you start to realize that (laughs) yeah just i just solid was good forward again as justin said so it's it's you start to have your own variations of it but essentially a lot of people have used like the buttons on your shirt as the way to keep the low point forward on Mm -hmm. a chip which is accurate i never had the second piece of that so i would do buttons forward and I would still dig into the ground real bad. And yeah, I'd hit some hit more shots solid uh, or, or sorry, not fat, but the, it, they're coming out really low. There was no, left. There's no up and left. So there was just no way to not lean the absolute piss out of the, out of the club. So that's, what's been fun watching Victor kind of so publicly go through this is I just mean the technical stuff because I've, I've had a version of this, and I get all of what he's doing, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's fascinating. When you watch bad chippers now, and I mean like amateurs, you can see so you many see of them it. go down yeah. at the ball. You go yeah. down at the ball, and that's what I did for a bit. We measured uh, my chipping, and, and I actually had more down towards the golf ball than up. And uh, if you look at the best chippers on the planet, Jordan, Luke yeah, Donald, yeah. they all go up, or they stay really still, which is rare. Ricky's one of the few people I've seen who his head, head stays really, really, really centered. And doesn't move a lot, but it's hard to tell somebody don't move. It's easier to tell somebody to move. So it's easier to mm-hmm. teach kind of down and left and then up and left. Yeah. And was it really fun watching Victor Hovland chip on you on the first hole of the Ryder Cup? Was that also really fun? So sick, dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a start. Like God. he bombs it down the middle. Harm hits his beauty. We're right below the hole. Have this funky putt, but right below the hole. Ludwig hit kind of like a little, little to the right. And Victor's got this thing that I assume he's going to putt. Cause I was nervous as could be. And uh, I was like, there's no way to really putt this close. And he decides to chip it. And I still was like, well, there's really no way to like chip this that close either. And that just dripped into the, over the edge place went bananas. And I then realized that everything I've been hearing is accurate and we are in trouble. <laughs> Dude, you weren't the only one that thought he was going to putt it because I sure dang did. It was my first call of the Ryder cup. And Victor uh, asked him about it. He told me to suck it after. So that's, that was sweet. <laughs> that was a great, that was a fun interview, well, but we uh, all did for at least a, a few days. Yeah, I know. Well, Max, I know uh, Phil Canyon's in town. Uh, I know he's helped you a ton with your podcast putting. And as you and I spoke yesterday, you talked about how you've always been pretty good inside of six feet, but 15 to 20 feet has been a big step in the right direction for you, as well as just the use of aim point and how that factors into kind of how your process is going uh, as far as putting goes. Yeah. Phil has done a ton, ton of great stuff to Maxwell stroke, but I do think that I've always been a decent putter of the golf ball. When he taught me aim point and how to get better at it, I, 
or at least got me to buy into Aimpoint and then just taught me every nook and cranny he could. That's when I started to see these this massive leap outside of 10 to 15 feet. I think I do think it's a skill. So I'm not I know a lot of people say, oh, you know, why doesn't everybody aim point? Blah, blah, it doesn't work for it. some some players come up and like, oh, I hate it. I think I'm very good at it. I mm. don't know why. I think I'm good at it. I work really freaking hard at it, but I think I'm really good at it. And it just opens up the hole. Like I feel like I'm using the entire hole now because I can hit I can I can hit a slightly pulled or slightly pushed putt. I can misread it slightly but I still think much better than I would with my eyes. And my speed has gotten so much better because when you, it seems like it's this, this can't be true, but you see it more often than not when you, especially as a good golfer, read a putt too low and you stand over it, your body almost knows it's too low. So you hammer it. Yes. And then you either fortunately, hopefully make the putt or you miss it slightly low. And that thing is four or five feet by it's terrible speed or opposite too high. And you try to die it in. I now feel like because it's gotten good that my speed from 15, 20 feet is tremendous. My favorite putt I ever hit Joe's two and I didn't make it. Wells Fargo at Potomac. So, um, I shot a million out there. Holy crap. Yeah, place is hard. <laughs> yeah, <what? laughs> Old me wasn't finishing. Somehow knew me one. Yeah, what uh, <laughs> uh, so number nine, uh, the, uh, the part, part three, three pins yeah. in the very back. It's raining and I everything hit it to like right the front of the green. green right? Yeah, everything yeah. just it's a massive tilt left to right. And I had like 80 or 90 feet. <laughs> and I went up and I, I did, I did, you know, I had to break it up. But I did a couple steps. And as I was walking, I'm like, oh, this is a three. So three percent or the entire way. It actually felt like the fastest you could read. I know people think I'm slow and I aim point, but they're, they're, typically it's fairly quick. It just takes a you know you just got to calibrate it really quickly. And that one, especially with just one break, so I just went behind the ball. I put up a three, aimed it however many feet out the left, and I just smoked it and I hit it to like one centimeter. <laughs> and Joe Joe goes, "That's the best putt I've ever seen you hit." And I was like, "It felt easy. It just felt like I knew where I to aim it, and I knew I was really confident that that was the right read." So little things like that have just like cleaned up a lot of other things. Now, of course, Phil has helped me a lot with my actual putting, but the leap I think came from reading putts better. Mm. And it's, it seems silly, but I, I watch people putt now and I, 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 you can tell when they misread the putt and then they Mm -hmm. think to themselves, Oh my God, I pushed it. And a lot of that's what Phil does with me is him and Joe will stand behind me when we warm up or, or practice or whatever. Now the cop pushed it and they're like, no, you didn't. And then he'll go put his level down on the practice screen and be like, you said it was a one, it was a two and a half. Um, so you might think you wow. pushed it because by That's... the time I look up, it's right. But that, that helps too. Cause now a lot of my putts I miss, I don't go immediately to, I hit a terrible putt. That helps um, confidence wise too. So much. You're not I talked to Justin yourself. a lot about that. Wow. I was like, buddy, you're going to see that a lot of your misses aren't because you're putting bad. It's, it's probably cause you misread it. Wow. That's really interesting. Well, I, I know you're going to practice with him this afternoon and whole bunch of putts and on our way out the door, <laughs> we've got to talk about just life as being a dad. And, um, my producer had a baby October 20th, uh, baby boy Walker. You had cam October 30th. I had my daughter, Anna Carter, January 16th. So we're all, you know, y'all just, us. y'all just, y'all just clip that first year mark. Um, uh, Anna Carter's kind of getting crawling as well. You know, looking back on that first year as being a dad, I mean, just <laughs> what are your what are your favorite memories, I guess, or something that just sticks out? Oh, 
Probably the Lacey's a superstar. <laughs> yeah, Lacey's a rock star. Uh, that's what sticks out the most. I I can't believe how slowly the first three months went, and I can't believe how fast the last nine went. The mm. first three were crawling so well by, said. for lack of a better. The first uh, three months sh- are absolute. I mean, you don't sleep. You don't sleep. It's, it's great. You know, you, it's really great. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's <laughs> telling you how it's the greatest thing you'll ever do, and you're sitting there like, "Are you are you sure?" Because this is not sustainable. Like a couple <laughs> months, uh, and then it just snaps. You snap out of it, and it all becomes just like crazy fun. The personality changes. Cam has been like truly the most fun kid in the world, uh, and. But one of the things that stands out, just to bring it back to golf, our first trip, we go on Maui for the century. It's a very relaxed event. However, it is a monster to walk. Mm. It's pretty warm. And it's still a golf tournament. So you're still kind of in that mode. You're out there all day, whatever. So Lacey, unfortunately for her, speaking of being a rock star, I mean, she just basically had to sit in the hotel the whole week. He couldn't be going outside that early. It's obviously UV rays at that age is not great. So I remember I came home from a very long day at the course where I was pretty smoked and I do not blame her, but it was definitely, it was definitely the first time where I was like, this is the new world you're going to be living in. I got home and she goes, okay, thank God. You know, I need a break. Here you go. And I was just like, <laughs> oh boy, I was like, I need a break. I need but a break. I what am, am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? No, like my, I need a nap. My brain and body is SpaghettiOs right now, but no, yes. I guess. <laughs> Like all I like my back kind of hurts. I probably need to get some uh, some PT done, but now you got to do some uh, some rocking in the whole now deal. You gotta but. Do everything else. So I think that, and then uh, mentally, uh, the match I was telling you, I lost to Mackenzie Hughes at uh, Austin this year. I was really upset with myself. I did a really poor job, uh, not just golf, just everything else uh, mentally, and I was really upset with myself. And Lacey and Cam were waiting for me on the side of the green on 16 and we're walking to the van. And I remember I picked up Cam and I said, your dad really sucked today. And it was weird how quickly I got over it. Uh, uh, I always struggled yeah. with that. And That's it is great. really cool. Just not just because of the perspective that he's going to love me no matter what. I don't really buy into that as much. Like, of course he is, but um, I want to set an example for him that if you stick to something and you work your ass off at it, you could be the best at it. So I don't, I don't want to sit here and say, Oh, I just feel so good because he'll love me. Whatever that, that didn't sit out, stick out. What, what really stuck out was I was so stoked to just be like, all right, dad time. Like I like this time. So yeah. Did I lose is, am I embarrassed? Am I frustrated, pissed off? Yeah, I am. But I get to go do something that I feel like talk about, talk about uh, practicing as hard as you can and getting no better at golf. (laughs) <laughs> spending time with your kid you know you're impacting them in a good way yes, so it's yes. nice to know that i can go do something that i can control here uh so those those types of things have stuck out and have, has been have been really fun for me uh and it's been cool having obviously you having a kid having jordan and <laughs> annie with uh sammy having all the kind of the maya and Ricky and Allison, like ever, all the all the the, the crews uh, growing up. Yeah, we can, we, and <laughs> we, we can't forget different. little Sophie as well. Uh, and Sophie, yeah, yeah, she's gonna be. We got pretty soon. She'll be crawling and walking. But we got dude. a whole we got a whole squad coming. So it's kind of fun watching everybody grow up, and and then and then also 
uh be confused and overwhelmed all at the same time <laughs> it's yeah but it's fun I, w- I wouldn't change it for the world and uh, no. obviously it's it's you know you've always been a great friend of mine and it's been fun watching you know your resurgence and uh especially how well you've played over the last couple of years and you know, being a world-class player that you are but you're a world-class dude as well and uh, <laughs> Thanks, this has man. been a uh incredible conversation i know so many people are going to enjoy this thank you for taking this amount of time to touch so many different topics. I know you're a busy man, but when you get to Birmingham uh, to work with Mark, don't be shy. Let's go play some golf. <laughs> you can give me five aside and uh, we'll go play a nice automatic one down match and we'll have a good time. Yeah, That's, that's, that's great. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, I'll just give you the money now. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for having me. It's been fun. Smiley. Uh, I'll joke side. It's been fun. It's been fun watching you in a new role. Thank I you, think man. you're, fantastic at it and it's it is uh i'm i'm selfish here but it's nice getting to see you walk around uh with us and and get to kind of chop it up here and there charlie i know uh we haven't we haven't met personally but i've known you for a long time randomly so it's it's cool to see what you guys are doing and uh i I know golf fans appreciate it but we we do too so please keep it up and i look forward to seeing y'all in an actual person uh relatively soon i just gotta say you know smiley extended the shoal invite if you ever Back on the West Coast, AT&T Pro-Am, you want to hit up the tee box? It's yes, sir. It's yeah, we can, we can, we can uh, revisit the tee box. <laughs> it sounds like a great place to have a cocktail. So uh, well, why, don't we, why don't we schedule <laughs> to do that at some point? Sounds good. Thank you, boys. The Smiley Show is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.